Welcome back to Catholic in America, where we're talking about gender theory. Thank you so much for supporting us uh, through Patreon and also for liking, sharing, and subscribing these videos. So, Father Tom, when we're talking about uh, gender theory, what are some of the, the kind of philosophical foundations of this reality and how maybe it gives us a clearer insight into its origins and how we can engage with it in, in, a, in, a, in a rigorous and scientific way? I think that one of the things we have to recognize, first of all, is that it that this is a theory that is being promoted. And as a theory, there's a lot of philosophy contained within it. Um, so when you start looking at social constructs, as well as the theory that's being advanced by both uh, certain sociologists and different uh, psychologists, as well as obviously some scientists, like so, the validity of the theory is based that it is based upon observation. So like there's there's observation and observational data. Thus, the, the rifle claim that, okay, this is based in science. So yes, because the scientific method is about observation and deducing and making deductions or inductions based upon what we observe within nature. Um, so, but I think it's also important to recognize that within this, this is not scientific fact. It is based upon evidence. It's based upon things which have been observed. Mm -hmm. And now there is a theory which grows out to explain what this evidence means. Right. Now, there are also alternative theories. There's alternative theories which will take the same exact evidence and will give an alternative theory thus ascribing meaning and definition to what is being observed. So like when you see something which is observed within cultures, like you can also look and say, is this a helpful trait? Like if you were to use a Darwinian uh, theory model of looking at, okay, helpful uh, mutations, helpful things which happen within society, helpful evolutions. But at the same time, within Darwinian theories, the notion is that there's also unhelpful characteristics, things that don't lead to the flourishing and continued positive evolution. There's things that actually go backwards within mm. that particular theory. And so like when looking at also this evidence from that, there's also, and it's not just a faith base, there's many scientists who are looking and saying, well, actually, yes, there, you, that, that is a theory which you have, but there's also other ways of, the, of interpreting this data. Well, it, get, it gets into it as well, just as a society, since this is, has quickly been linked to civil rights, to women's rights, you don't want to be, you know, it's often said you don't want to be on the wrong side of history here. So in a sense, can you even question this? Can you even ask, look at look at the data that's presented, look at the experiences of people that are going through this, um, that that feel their gender doesn't correspond to their 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 biology. Um, that in a sense, can we even look at that or ask those questions without fear of punishment or being ostracized or being kicked out of a university faculty or, or whatever it might be. Canceled. It, canceled, yeah. yeah. We're going back to our cancel culture. We, we, uh, yeah. I, I think about this philosophically that we as a, as a society, we're postmodern society, that we're still impacted by Descartes. And for those, you know, maybe that took a philosophy class at some point, uh, some point in their lives, Descartes has that, that famous dictum, uh, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Which is interesting that it begins to put the seat of reality and meaning and value and truth in my brain. I think, therefore I am. So my own existence is in a sense preceded by my, by my cognition. So what I think about the world and about myself is reality, which is which is also the, almost the exact opposite of traditional Greek philosophy, right? Because when you're talking about like what do I know, so like the philosophy of knowledge. So how do I know something? What do I know to be true? That's called um, we all know, but for those who are watching online, might not know this. Is called the the school of epistemology, of the the theory, the philosophy of knowledge. How do I know something? But the classical model of Greek philosophy, again, which spawned Western civilization. Um, but the Greeks, it wasn't the Greeks also didn't create all of that. Like that was based upon older Egyptian philosophies as well as like old ancient world, especially Mesopotamian philosophy going to the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, 
epistemology it was a wonderful and great school of thought, which was how do I know things, and therefore how do I know and experience things, which was especially when you're talking about gender theory, you're talking about my experience of myself, and therefore I know myself, okay, mm -hmm. Descartes. But in the ancient world, and for the most part for the last, um, for about you know, 1,500 years until the, until the Enlightenment period, um, metaphysics, which was the study of reality. Being. Being, yeah, yeah. Yeah. like the being yeah. of both invisible reality, the study of visible reality, and the intersection of like what is reality and recognizing my knowledge of reality is not the same as reality. Like there is a reality, there is a bigger thing of what is actually real. Mm. My ability to perceive it is based upon me as a subject. Yeah. But the reality of what is observable, and that's why Aristotle, who um, was both a metaphysician, he studied metaphysics and wrote on metaphysics, and he also wrote on epistemology, but that the school of epistemology was always subject to metaphysics, but that became flipped. Yeah. And thus the subject defined in reality as opposed to the reality being defined by the subject. I, so I, it almost I, yeah. becomes like the object. The subject is now the object of how, how I want other people to experience me, not yeah. just how do I experience other people. No, I, mean, the, I want to define how you experience absolutely. me. Absolutely. This yeah. is philosophical and it can seem very heady, but when you're talking about a person who's experiencing reality and the reality of their own situation, then they're like, am I defined by the external reality and am mm. I a piece of nature or am I a component of creation, a component of reality, or do I create reality? Mm -hmm. And so therefore, yeah. does my reality dictate outwards versus does reality dictate and define me inward? Like, what is my place in nature? And that's why this is not just a philosophical problem, a question and thing, it's also an anthropological. What is human being's place in creation? What is in reality? Yeah, I think that we're also impacted by the, and this is all philosophical. You know, the, so you know, for the for the philosophy lesson for people that 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 recognize that philosophy impacts society, it impacts morals, it impacts art and culture and society. You know, all these sorts of things, behaviors are all impacted, informed by um, by philosophy. But to think too that we as a society are also profoundly impacted in the past, you know. Uh, 60 years by the sexual revolution. That the sexual revolution, which was flows from that that Descartes, I think therefore I am. I I invite and create my own reality. In a sense, you know, some good things about individualism, about self-autonomy, which has a lot of truth and, and value to them, became transferred to the sexual sphere, that my fulfillment now is in what I do. Yes. And my happiness is is in is in pleasure, seeking pleasure really by any means necessary. And, and whatever I do to achieve that pleasure is good, is, is, now, is now automatic good. Now society before this had taboos, had laws, had restrictions, sex is within marriage, it's for the, in the sake of you know, the spouses and the, for the sake of bringing forward children. Now all of a sudden sex has become something, sexual activity has become something divorced from that and now has to do with my own self-expression, which again, you know, in ancient world, in the medieval time, they, sex was not about self-expression. <laughs> it, 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 it would never no, would have even come up for like, people. No, we were, like uh, the society uh, needed sexual expression because otherwise they had no children, they had no citizens, and that society yeah, died. <laughs> exactly. So, so just think of what a flip that's been. So, being unmoored from that, sexual activity has now been re removed from any sort of contact with God, with being, with family necessarily. Well, regardless of how a person views it in terms of the morality, but like the monumental effect that uh, contraception right. 
as enabled that in the past was not possible. Like, and so like this has shifted so quickly and so fast, enabling things that would never have been enabled in the past. And therefore like, but then what's like the effect? Like what's this and what we're seeing is some of the effects of what happens. Mm -hmm. Right, and even, and, and even practicality. I mean, how, how, you know, how sex works out, how it um, comes into, you know, how we practice it in society and, and the effects that it's gonna have, you know, it, not sure those things are, are really being thought of, and, and, and maybe it is being thought of in this theory, at least in the procreation part of the side of it. Right. Well, and this this brings us to again, kind of that philosophical foundations of this. This has been a perennial struggle. People have struggled with their bodies. People have struggled with, with sexual expression, self-image, yeah. um, some you know body dysphoria or hatred for my body or or gender dysphoria. Where I you know that that's throughout history. And there's been different expressions of that. People have bucked societal norms and said like even though men usually dress this way, I'm going to dress this way, or, or I'm going to dress like a woman, or I'm going to dress like a man. All those things have happened. Now, in a sense, the philosophy now and it supports it and, and now now supports uh, supports something that can't uh, as we'll see can't really continue to support itself because it's constantly having to recreate itself behavior that a year ago was perfectly acceptable is now considered phobic in one way whether it's it's homophobic or transphobic or genderphobic or or um, you know masculine phobic or wh wh whatever the things are because in a sense we have no foundation that we're standing on if everything comes from my own mind and heart so I guess maybe the question that we can dive into and this is this is where it's it's important for us to to engage seriously is as Catholics obviously we're all Catholic priests um, that and we're we're struggling to love people where they are to and we're all broken sinners we're, we're all we're all Need of the mercy and grace of God. Every single person, no matter what gender you identify as, needs the mercy and grace of God and is made for that love of God. That how are we called to begin to respond? How, how would you engage with someone maybe who's bringing forward this problem, who has um, you know the, their child that that's now thinks they're a different gender, um, someone that's learning this in school or that their their work program is basically saying that you have to sign off on this. Um, how, how are we called to, to live our faith, uh, to engage in this world with all that philosophy and all this uh, that's kind of now being proposed to us and sometimes imposed? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the easy answer is, is is with compassion and with love. I mean, I, I think that's a, a very simple answer, but how that works out yeah, what is, is that practically what is the question. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. And, and I think, you know, practically speaking, you know, when are, when are we honest about um, the, the way we view this philosophy with someone? When are we honest about what we think of it and how we interact with them? When, if someone wants to be called something other than what they're biologically seen to be, how do you interact with that? What do you do with that? And, and practically speaking, it's, it's a tough issue. There's no question about it, especially because you really don't want to run someone away from, from the grace and the love of God just by not being compassionate enough, not mm -hmm. being someone who under, you know, is trying to understand where they're coming from and, and to understand where that hurt's coming from, too, because we all experience that hurt. No matter if we only see two genders, we see 64. We all have this hurt. I think that also, like, looking at it from the standpoint of that Christ, and from, this is from the lens of our faith. Now, we can't impose our faith and force our faith down other people's um, throats. But we do offer our faith as a standard of happiness. Like that's why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came to the world to, to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up those who are sick and to heal them. He came as the divine healer. But see, for Jesus to come into the world as the divine healer, that also means that we are in need of healing, mm. that the world is broken. 
Yeah. And so because you can look at, and this is really, really where we do come to a certain point where we are not accepting as Christians, most certainly as Catholics, of this particular theory because this legitimizes and normalizes what we would consider, and when we look at the standard of God's plan, as well as the standard of just like our view of the, looking at the data from the science. So like we're not completely devoid of science. Like we look at the science, which is also why many atheists, not all atheists, but many atheists are actually in, in line with us and looking at some of this as like, this is not, like I can look at the same data you're looking at, and I can interpret this data in an entirely different way. Is that this is not helpful, but this mm-hmm. is unhelpful behavior. This is not healthy, this is unhealthy. Right. And so like you can use different philosophical models which are not theological, not based on Paul and God at all, to also view that. That's what actually Aristotle was not a Christian. Like, mm-hmm. And this, the whole Greek philosophy, this was came from paganism, recognizing that's why they look at what is helpful, what is not. Because for Jesus, from our faith-based perspective, like Jesus comes in the world to heal that which is broken. Because we would look at these types of behaviors as not being healthy. We would look at them as being unhealthy, or what, what classically is called disordered, which is mean that they're not going to lead to happiness and to health. They're going to lead to... Um, to internal conflicts can lead to all the things. And so like you can look at that and saying, like, if I love a person, and that's the hard thing, this is where tough love and real love, like love is not just me enabling and giving you what you want. Right. Like mm. love is love. I is, want you to though. I just I want, know, I just want I know, what but, I want. So if no, you could just love, yeah, love yeah. is love, like that's 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 or as C. S. Lewis talks about, that's Venus. That's the goddess Venus who just gives you what you want and pleasure and so forth. Like real love is me wishing and desiring your good. Mm. And that's why, like, for me to love you is not to me to feed in and to enable and to legitimize. And that's where I think that the danger of socially or legally sanctioning behaviors, which we know are disordered from a theological perspective, and which we can look at the from science... From a biological perspective And from a biological well. perspective yes. and say that these behaviors are not healthy... And to but to socially or to legally sanction and legitimize and say that these things are normal, that's actually from my perspective. That is not me loving them. Mm-hmm. That's like me to a certain extent enabling a, a behavior which I know is going to lead to that person suffering. Mm. And so, like that's hard because, and that's where people disagree, obviously. But like that's where the person says, "Oh no, to love them, you have to say that you have to give them acceptance." I was like, I accept the person, and I love the person. But I don't necessarily, I can't accept the behavior if I think that the behavior is harmful and not going to lead that person to fulfillment. It's, it's an interesting thing because it's, it's now become kind of a protected status in society, um, sexual orientation, now gender, and all the things that are kind of uh, attached to that since the sexual revolution. Now, all of a sudden, that we have a protected class of activity that I can't disagree with. And if I disagree with it, then I hate the person, which is interesting because for me, as a sinner, and I'm the biggest sinner I know, I've heard thousands of confessions, and, I, and I'm still the biggest sinner that I know, and I know the love and mercy I'm of God. Doug, Doug's competing with you. The, uh, yeah. well, 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 I'm working at it, baby. Definitely not me. Definitely not me. But as soon as I get to the point where my sin is me, or my, my, my even, even my, my, my brokenness, brokenness is me, my yeah. trauma, or, or my whatever it is, that, that, and that you have to accept that aspect of me, that to me is, 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 a, is a real jump. It's a, it's a, it's a real change in society and change in, in, in our values as well. So what does love actually look like here? Can I love somebody and disagree with their decision to transition, for instance? And, and I, I would say, I think we, we uh, if, if that's the right thing, you know that person, and if you're actually loving that person, then, then yeah, maybe you do, maybe, maybe, but can you still continue to love them? And 
I would hope so. I would hope that that meeting someone exactly where they are, but recognizing too that uh, that uh, uh, that necessarily a, a surgery or hormonal drugs or anything else are not ultimately what's going to make them happy. Maybe that maybe that's where, where we get into trouble. But we recognize that that's not going to make you happy because we're made for God, and yeah. and to think that that. You know that that transformation of my body is going to fulfill that that well, deep anxiety and happy and need for happiness. But I think, in fairness, but also to point out, like, then the question becomes: do, Is happiness like because you say like, both of us agree that it's not going to make you happy? But from that perspective, from the right. perspective of the alternative mindset of the person who um, advocates for gender theory, like from that perspective, the subject is the source of determining happiness. Mm. And yeah. So I think that there, like, there is a there's a deep philosophical misalignment between like what we believe. Like, do I find happiness by finding my place within reality, yeah. or do I find happiness by determining my place in reality? So it's like self determination versus am I do am I defined by these external realities? One of them being which is am I defined by my biology, which is that's why like that's why one of the things that we uh, even some atheists are in agreement with us at this point. is like, no, biology does determine. You are determined by biology. And you can separate gender. You can try to do this, separate gender from biology and say there's a difference between sex and gender. But you can also say that, no, gender and sex are one and the same thing. Because I would say that to do that is to make a distinction without merit. Well, like, I mean, in the medical to, therefore, cause, and which causes confusion when you start making distinctions without merit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the medical community, I mean, they have to, I mean, biologically speaking, they have to know because it, it depends on the way that they treat you. It depends on the kind of drugs that you're given, the kind of uh, treatment that you receive. I mean, all of those yeah. things are important. And so, you know, uh, um, yes, you know, what you identify with. I mean, you go into a hospital; they're not going to ask you what you identify with. They're going to ask you what you were born with. Mm -hmm. And and that's very important. Or to give you the best care they're going to. That's because exactly if, if they, why they're you know, doing it, for your happiness. Exactly what you were saying. It brings up to me the fact that, obviously as Catholics, that gender and attached yeah. to biological sex, which is how, how uh, the Catholic Church views this, that matters profoundly. We see this even the fact that only men, biological males, can become Catholic priests. Um, only women, biological females, can become Catholic nuns. So that, that, that distinction, in a sense, all of a sudden puts us outside of, of society. And that's, that's maybe a confusing thing to be in, where people just thought like, oh yeah, you know, boys are this way, girls are this way, and, that, and that, that's kind of how it is. That now, to think that now becomes not just a difference of opinion, becomes hate speech and becomes hurtful and destructive. And I think maybe, maybe it's just sometimes we're having a hard time even catching up with that, of where society has gone. As the logical, if you want to put it, or illogical, mm -hmm. uh, continuation of what the sexual revolution really began. I wanted to go back to, to what you were saying about um, treating people in their brokenness. And, and I think you were, you were right on the cusp of saying it, which is to be Christ-like. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Jesus does for all of us. I mean, for me, for you, for, for someone who, who's dealing with, with inner turmoil and conflict, he meets us there. And I mean, he meets us there and he accepts us there. But he doesn't accept us in such a way as that's where we stay. Yeah. He loves us enough yeah. to tell us the truth of what he, we're he, brokenness he, he calls is. us to bring, think, yeah, us to bring into more. the fact that Christ calls us to a divine standard. Yeah. 
and that divine standard is not a social construct. So it, it, uh, there's something too that, that comes up when I think of the psalm that says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that there's something about our bodies that we say that we are created in the image and likeness of God, created male and female, that there's an inherent dignity, not just to our minds or to our spirits, but our actual bodies. And so part of what we lose in, in gender theory and kind of all the subsequent actions of that, whether it's, it's chemical or, or hormonal or surgical, that, that are willing to get rid of that or cancel that, that there, there's something within that that, that is, is degrading. And I say this, I know this, is, this can sound harsh, is degrading something sacred because the body is sacred and it's not merely well, merely war. It's not merely by our mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this goes also back to the, the first heresy that that broke out in the Catholic Church. I mean, the Church, which was the heresy that John the Apostle was writing against. So, like John, which was the last of the apostles to write, and he wrote his Gospel of John. But he was writing against the Gnostic heresy. And the Gnostics who said that there is a separation, there is a division which lies between the body and the spirit of man. The body is evil and is the source of suffering and of chaos and of pain. And yet the spirit, the mind or the feelings, the mind, spirit, the feelings, the internal invisible realities of man, that is what is pure and beautiful and good. And so like there was this, this, this defilement or hatred of the body from the Gnostic perspective, which is why John's gospel is so pro-body and also why John uses the word sarks in his gospel, which flesh. is flesh, yeah, like, but also very, pointing yeah, out yeah, the yeah. divinization that God took on a human <clears throat> body, that the body is not an accidental, meaningless uh, mm. consequence of evolution and of the environment, that the body and bodies in general is a source of the good, and that God presents himself to the man in a bodily way. And so like, it's also why though, but if you just look at human beings anthropologically, so like the definition of what is human beings, like what are we, that if we're just an accident, a meaningless consequence of the universe, like I have, there's no meaning. Like I can understand why a person can believe that like the body is, yeah, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. But if you look at the body as being something which is meaningful, which is something which is not just which is not- Full of meaning. Full right. yeah, 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 full of meaning. Where yeah. we find meaning and joy in, that like, no, like even like if I'm experiencing like a hatred of the body, this is not an indication of a normative and healthy behavior. It's it's indication that something is wrong. And it's a direct, and I'm in need yeah. of healing. I'm not in yeah. need of, I'm not in need of being like, uh, being abused. I'm not in need of that, but there is still something wrong and that, that there's a need for healing there, not for mutilation, not for destruction, not for isolation, saying that I'm gonna separate and just live in my head or just live in my feelings and this doesn't affect on the bodily level. It, it reminds me of St. John Paul II talked about the theology of the body, has this beautiful teaching on that, that the body created male and female, created good, not a mistake, not an accident, not a problem, um, but created in the image and likeness of God, and that we image God in through our bodies, particularly in how we're created male and female. And I think the forgetfulness of that, so then it just becomes about what I feel and what I think, instead of my actual body is teaching us a lesson about where we've come from, our origins, but also our destiny that we're made for communion, that the man's body, physically uh, does not make sense by itself. It's only in light of the woman and that the two become one flesh and that, that the, the genitals, the sexual organs by which we generate, that, that it's the only uh, uh, system within the body that doesn't complete, it isn't complete by itself. It needs right. the body of another person. It, it needs, to so make it th there's that complementarity there. Yeah. And we've sort of forgotten that. We, we've, we've set that aside. We kind of uh, you know, haven't really even thought about what actual sexual union is. Um, and so as a result, we suffer from them. One of the things I bring up to, to people all the time is that the devil hates sex. Right. 
the devil hates it, you know? I mean, he, so what does he do? Because it's, 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 it's one of the ways, most powerful ways that we image God. More so than the angels. More so than the angels, More yeah, the absolutely. Right. So, right. so in a sense, what does he do? So then he separates that. He separates sex from, from marriage, separates sex from our own bodies, our own minds. Separates sex from children. From children, absolutely. Yeah. Like so sex so is about pleasure, it's not about procreation. All those things yeah. are connected in God's plan. And so once it's been separated, then it becomes, and, and I think just saying this seriously, that, that we need to recognize that people are adrift here, that I'm adrift here without the gospel. And I'm not saying this is I'm, I'm better than anybody, no. But that if I don't have a foundation upon which I stand, then I'm having to constantly create reality. And so what this is resulting in is people that are more anxious, people that are more depressed, people that are more suicidal. And, and the, the young generation nowadays is living in that. And particularly people who struggle with gender dysphoria, um, that people that desire to be transgender, think they're in the wrong body, think that, that their gender doesn't correspond to one of the 64 that exist. The level of anxiety, sometimes of self-hatred, sometimes of self-harm and suicide is, is profound. And those people need good counseling, need good people around them, good community and love. They don't need to be ostracized. But we're also called to help allow them, invite them to live deeper into the truth so they realize their body is not the enemy. Yeah, and also that love, love doesn't enable things which are harmful. And that's where also like we, it's, there's a challenge. Like the gospel is challenging. Like God comes to the world to challenge us not where we are right. God calls and comes to the world to challenge us where we're wrong. Hmm. And like where we're in need of healing, where we're in need, where we are broken. And sometimes like it's easier to pretend like there is, there's a certain point where I can pretend I'm not broken, but like to recognize, no, we are broken. We are in need of a savior. We are in need of a redeemer. Like we're in need of a teacher, like God, God who is father. And that's why God tells him, reveals himself to us as father, because a father, the ideal father is a teacher who teaches his sons and teaches his daughters, who loves his sons and loves his daughters and recognizes, I can't leave you alone and isolated where you don't know who you are. Yeah, Jesus really brings conviction, not condemnation at this point. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't come to tell us how bad we are and how, how you know, messed up we are or whatever it is, us, whoever, but comes to bring us conviction in the sense of you're broken and you can, you can receive healing. You can receive healing. All of you can mm -hmm. receive healing. So for anyone who thinks that we as Catholics think that we've got it, we've got the healing right and we're all healed up and we don't need to no, we're in need of that as well. We're in need of it just as much, if not more, than than anyone in our society who who thinks that they're broken or if they don't recognize that they're broken. Just having that, like you said, the love of the understanding of hearing that truth and being able to deal with where I'm broken at. Uh, it to me brings up also when we talk about young people because obviously this is this is a uh, Pope Francis kind of got into some hot water recently when he says that this kind of becomes like a fad amongst young people where you know someone went in a classroom and this is you know studies are coming out where this happens where usually with 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 girls in classrooms and you know in, in school age girls it's not merely that where one identifies as transgender they get accolades they're called brave all sorts of things happen others begin to do it as well. It kind of becomes like a, a social, um, there's a social oh, yeah. connection. There's so, the, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that there's social, social pressure as well as social reward. Social reward for, for doing that. Yeah. yeah. So, so recognizing that, like, how do we help, punishment as well. how do we help people disagree, yeah. to love? Cause being a teenager is hard. Going through puberty is difficult. You know, the, the, the changes in the body, all those sorts of things. It's, it's easier to just sort confusing. of, it's, it's confusing. How do we teach people to love that your body's created good? 
that that if you're if you're if you're a biological boy, if you're a, a male, that that is a good thing, and that is a, that is a health. You don't have to hate that or fear that. Same thing for a girl. So in a sense, part of the conversion of the gospel is learning to love this reality that I live in, which is my body, and wherever there need wherever there's disintegration, wherever wherever my my mind my body aren't matched up, that. Part of the, this path of healing is 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 inviting the Lord to bring integration, and, I, and maybe that, that's 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 difficult to say, but but it, but so important to hear and to continue to to laud that the goodness that you're a boy, the goodness that you're a girl, the goodness that of, of what God has created in you. Yeah, I think that recognizing the fact that Christ came to the world um, to to make us whole. I mean, really, the, the understanding of Christian perfection is the idea of wholeness, and recognizing like perfection is not like me not making mistakes. Christian perfection is the pursuit of wholeness, of recognizing that we are not whole. Now, and that's where, like, in this sense, and that's where, I, I mean, the gender theory advocates are trying to, I mean, there's a, there's a goodness in the, in the intention of trying to make people feel and experience wholeness and believing that by, by acceptance of where you are right now, I can make you whole if you just accept it. But that's not going to, if the person is, in fact, broken, like, that's not going to make the person whole by allowing them to stay stuck where they where they are, which is a, in, whether it be in an immature state or a, a disassociated state or in a healthy state. Like the call of the gospel is that Christ calls us as his hands and feet to call people to perfection, but at a perfection where you embrace your wholeness of recognizing I don't have to separate my body from my spirit in this kind of this new age Gnosticism, which is kind of enveloping the world right now. And therefore like in that I can find a wholeness mm. and that's it by embracing my truest self not by me defining my true self, but by embracing who I am and where and my place in reality. So in closing, how are we called to respond? I think that as uh, Catholic people, as a Christian people, as followers of Jesus, Jesus who identified himself as the truth. When, and then Pilate kind of snickered and laughed and said, oh, well, truth, what is that? And that's what really, honestly, sadly, that's the world we live in, is a very cynical place who believes that truth is relative and that you, you determine your truth and I determine my truth. But as followers of Christ, um, it's by accompanying, as Pope Francis has been saying, we need to accompany these people. We don't need to condemn them, but we do need to accompany them. But we accompany a person in truth. And, and towards that, truth. And that, towards truth, leading heading, people yeah. towards truth. Yeah. And we don't sacrifice the truth of what has been revealed to us and what we know to be true. And that's why we have to speak the truth because otherwise we leave people in darkness. And like yeah. we leave people in their isolation, and even and, and then sometimes it's self-imposed. And like I want to be here, and that's why like we we can't force and grab a person out of where they don't want to be. But we have to speak the truth. We can't allow the culture to silence our voice, which is what what I really have experienced. I'm sure that all of us, I mean, to a certain extent, that's what we're experiencing this this attempt to silence the voice, silence all oppositions. Don't say this. Keep silent. And we have to speak. Absolutely. Well, just re recognizing that courage is needed here. Uh, courage to love well, that all this is rooted in love and charity and, and the dignity of the other person. But courage to be able to speak the truth. I know there's people that have been fired, secular people who are very liberal and left-leaning, who said uh, men are male and women are female and was, was fired and was taken offline and everything else. So to be able to speak the truth in love 
is not going to win us any praise. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, blessed, it's gonna, are, they, no blessed gonna, are you in, when they hate you and they persecute you. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so recognize that, but we are still called to love. Even, even as we say that uh, uh, sex and gender and biology matter, and those are, are connected in the human person made in the image and likeness of God, and that we need to uphold that and we need to make distinctions within that um, in our education of children and our, our formation of, of family life and society, that we're going to be persecuted for that, but we're still called to love and and, and cherish the other person even, even as they might disagree with us. So we hope this episode will help you continue this conversation with family and friends, with those you come in contact with. So if you would, please like, share, and subscribe this. Until the next time, we'll see you soon.